Hi everyone, and welcome to The Mumps, the McGill University Medical Podcast Series. I'm Russ. And I'm Eric. We are two third-year medical students at McGill, and we are the hosts of this podcast, which is affiliated with the McGill Journal of Medicine. Our goal is to interview researchers from McGill who have recently published in various areas of medicine and to discuss their projects. Today, we're joined by Paul Savage. Thanks for being on the show today, Paul. Thank you for having me. So Paul recently published a paper in uh, the journal Cell Reports. It's called A Targetable EGFR-Dependent Tumor-Initiating Program in Breast Cancer. Uh, it's quite an accomplishment for uh, an MD-PhD student. Uh, so congratulations, Paul. It's an excellent paper. Thank you. Uh, the work was uh, a big team project that comprised of uh, work from multiple groups, including our own. Um, Morag Park's group at the Goodman Cancer Center, as well as uh, Dr. Yanis Ragusis, uh, Dr. Claudia Kleinman um, from, from uh, the uh, genomics standpoint, as well as uh, clinical folks um, who, who are involved in actual acquiring of uh, tumor material. Excellent. All right, so um, why don't you just give us a, a brief summary of the paper, Paul? So the works uh, prefaced on the idea that breast cancer is, is not a single disease, and it actually represents a collection of, of different types of tumors. And one of these types of tumors is what we call triple negative breast cancer. And unfortunately, these women develop tumors that don't really have any um, therapeutic targets, such as estrogen receptor or HER2, which um, we know are, are targetable in a clinic. So these women actually tend to do quite poorly um, and don't respond all that well to conventional chemotherapeutics and unfortunately have a tendency to pass away within the first three years of uh, being diagnosed with their disease. So the story really is, is founded on the idea that triple negative breast cancer itself is a heterogeneous disease um, comprised of, of many different subtypes. And this was shown before this paper. Um, but we took a therapeutic standpoint and began to look at a subset of breast cancers which are responsive to EGFR inhibitors, um, which are used in other cancer types such as lung cancer, um, but have unfortunately failed when being clinically tested against either all breast cancers or triple negative breast cancers alone. So the goal of the project was to identify those triple negative breast cancer patients who are, are in fact sensitive to a drug that's already available on the market. Fantastic. Yeah, it's definitely an area of breast cancer care that, uh, that really is lacking in terms of treatment right now. So Paul, in your study, you used patient-derived xenograph models. Could you care to explain what this is to those in our audience who might not be familiar with this type of methodology, as well as why you chose it in the first place? So patient-derived xenograft models are a resurging technique um, that have come to, to, to use more broadly in the cancer community within the last couple of years. Um, and and they're, they're what we believe are closest to, to the actual patient situation. They contrast with um, conventional tumor models such as cell lines, which have 
over the last 50 or so years diverged from the the uh, th their features have diverged from the original tumors from which they were derived um, by being on a on a plastic dish for for such a long time same thing goes with genetically engineered mouse models whereby the the differences in species between humans and mice sometimes lead to um, genetic and genomic features which um, don't actually recapitulate what goes on in human tumor genesis. So by directly implanting fresh human tumors from the operating room directly into immunocompromised mice, we believe that we are uh, better getting, better, better able to model human breast tumors um, with the obvious caveat that these are done in immunocompromised mice, so you don't have the, the surrounding immune system. So using these PDX lines, you were able to show that there was heterogeneity of EGFR expression, but what did you find when you split this population into EGFR high expressing cells and EGFR low expressing cells? Before going to EGFR um, high versus low expression expressing cells, we the first thing we did was we took an unbiased approach and we did single cell RNA sequencing, which is a new technique um, that was uh, that's recently been brought to McGill. Um, and, and we were able to sequence over 3,500 cells in a completely unbiased fashion to look at a little bit about what exactly is going on in these EGFR high cells. So what we found was that the EGFR high subpopulation had higher expressions of mesenchymal uh, type of, types of genes such as bimentin, um, TGF-beta, and, and these other types of, of of molecules and these are essentially associated with um, much more aggressive types of tumor phenotypes in terms of invasion but also in terms of metastasis so what we next did was actually validate some of these findings and looked at uh, by flow sorting the population based on EGFR expression and and looking at how these functionally distinguish each other and sure enough we found that the the EGFR high subpopulation when either grown in uh, tumor-initiating cell conditions or when they're injected back into mice, form tumors better or form tumor spheres better in vitro, um, confirming that it, 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 this EGFR high subpopulation is the more aggressive population that we needed to go after with, with, uh, with drugs. What's interesting was that when we, when we um, transplanted the, the tumor in, in an unbiased way, what we found is that the cells that made it to the lung after prolonged periods of time in the mice. Um, in fact, were the, when you looked at the very, very early lesions, happened to be the cells that were also very highly expressing EGFR. Again, confirming the findings that these EGFR expressing subpopulations are the ones that are responsible for uh, not only the tumor formation, but the metastasis. So that's very interesting that only certain subtypes of the population you were looking at were positive for the EGFR. Why do you think perhaps the mesenchymal population was positive for the EGFR? So we, to, to answer that question, we looked at some other data sets that were already available um, of actually normal breast tissue. Um, we already know that a lot of the, the processes that happen in cancer are hijackings of normal developmental processing. So by looking at single cell RNA sequencing from normal reduction mammoplasties, just meaning normal breast cells, 
uh, breast epithelial cells specifically, we also found that um, the, the basal compartment, which is, um, which is uh, the more primitive compartment or contains the stem cells that are able to regenerate the mammary gland, were the ones that express EGFR. And we looked at this across various data sets and we, we consistently found that the more stem-like compartment was the one that expressed EGFR. So in the same way that the normal um, mammary gland in humans uh, has, has this, this feature, we think that it's actually retained in, in human tumors. An interesting finding from our group was that this balance was actually tipped a little bit in uh, BRCA1 tumors specifically whereby uh, when, when individuals have germline predispos predisposition uh, with BRCA1 mutations, that you get actually more EGFR uh, expression within this basal compartment. And in fact, the, the, the exceptionally responsive xenograft that we had in our study happened to be a, a BRCA1 mutation uh, carrier. So that actually leads perfectly into my next question. Given the association between the, the BRCA germline mutations and the EGFR expression, do you think that using BRCA in today's clinical setting could potentially reveal some patients who might benefit from treatment with these EGFR inhibitors? At this point, I'd have to say no, but it's an active area of investigation. Um, some, of the, some studies have already been published from other groups whereby EGFR inhibitors at, at the, the early stages of tumor genesis in BRCA1 mouse models actually completely inhibits the development of basal-like or triple negative breast cancers. So there's data to support that idea. Whether we can use that clinically at this point um, is, I, I don't think we're, we're quite there, but it's an active area of investigation by our group. So Paul, after screening several of these different uh, PDX lines for expression of the EGFR protein, uh, you found a very interesting finding uh, that I thought was somewhat counterintuitive. So it seems that the more variability there is in EGFR expression, the more susceptible to inhibition with various EGFR inhibitors. And I was wondering, um, was is this diversity in expression a good way to identify patients who might benefit from treatment with these inhibitors? Well, this is what we found, and it was, as you said, a bit counterintuitive because classically, when you think of good targets, they're targets that are broadly expressed across the tumors. So mutations that are expressed, for example, in 1% of the cells within the tumor generally don't uh, do all that well clinically because the other subset of cells will not respond. So when we found that um, EGFR expression diversity across the tumor actually correlated with response in that more heterogeneous tumors responded better, we were, we were quite a bit surprised. So that's what led us to uh, first use single cell RNA sequencing to begin to uncover some of the molecular features associated with the um, with the cells that express EGFR. Um, and this, this technique was powerful, and it was important to couple, it, couple this with functional experiments that showed that, in fact, the EGFR-expressing cells within these tumors are important cells in what we call cancer stem cells. And these are the cells that not only initiate the tumors, but are the ones that are responsible for 
leaving the primary site and going to sites such as the lung, um, which eventually lead to, to mortality. Yeah, it's very interesting because it's almost exactly the opposite of what you would expect from a driver mutation and that it's expressed throughout uh, or heterogeneically as opposed to throughout the tumor. So I guess my follow-up question is, how do we take this finding uh, and make it clinically, clinically relevant? So that's going to be the, the challenge in, in translating the, this, this type of finding because right now most clinical assays or um, early clinical type of assays are based on sequencing. And so sequencing only really tells you the preponderance of, of uh, a mutation, for example, within the tumor. Whereas what we're saying is it, it's, it's not only the expression, but the functionality of the cell as well. So it, it, it might actually take um, either we, there, there's one of two ways of going about this. First, you either have to use a functional assay before um, treating the patient. And this is, this will be hard to translate into a clinical setting uh, due to costs, uh, technical expertise requirements, um, and not really fitting into a clinical paradigm or pathological or uh, pathology type of lab. The other option is to identify better markers of cancer stem cells and, um, and be able to overlay essentially EGFX, EGFR expression and cancer stem cell markers. Right now, cancer stem cell markers um, are still quite in their infancy, and they don't broadly—they um, don't—they're not broadly expressed from one tumor to another. Even in the initial um, breast cancer stem cell markers, for example, um, in the initial descriptions, there's only a subset of tumors that that followed this type of paradigm. So the, the translatability of this work um, will still require so, some major questions. Um, uh, in the future. Well, I think that was one of the things I wanted to ask you going forward in this study was, do you see or envision a future where studying tumor initiating compartments actually does become a part of clinical care? Or is it something that is just so expensive, so unfeasible in today's society or down the road? Yeah. So translating um, tumor initiating cell information into clinical assays, as I, as I said, is going to be uh, quite a challenge uh, for several reasons, but mostly for a technical one. Um, the way that this has been approached um, by, by academic groups as well as companies, you know, the most obvious one is to, to take a human tumor, dissociate it down, and, and put the cells into to tumor-initiating growth conditions in vitro, and um, essentially testing a, a, either a small libraries or large libraries of, of approved molecules against these and then tr using that information to feed it back towards the patient. Um, in a similar way, people are actually and companies are, are using um, and offering transplantation of, of individuals' tumors into mice in a patient-derived xenograft and testing these against various clinically approved agents and, and, and translating that information back directly to the same patient. In breast cancer, this is there's there's an opportunity for this because essentially the, the time between um, surgery when the tumor is procured and the end of adjuvant therapy is a kind of a window of opportunity to to test some of these therapies. Um, the only problem being is is that there's probably evolution of the tumor in the patient at this point, whereby 
the adjuvant there, chemotherapy, probably selects a different population than what was present at the time of surgery. So, so there's hurdles to overcome, but uh, there's definitely hope in, in, in this regard. So the, the drug that you were using uh, in the study was called Jafitnib, uh, the EGFR inhibitor. I'm wondering if this drug or other drugs in the same class have been used in breast cancer clinical trials before. In fact, they have, uh, and 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 the, res the the reason for that was because it was EGFR was known to be expressed in subsets of breast cancer, mainly triple negative breast cancers, as well as uh, some hormone therapy resistant ER positive breast tumors. The problem is the way that these studies were set up was in a non-selective way. Uh, first, they were done in pan-breast cancer studies, meaning all, all breast cancer patients. So you can imagine that those that did not either express EGFR or, as, as we believe, express EGFR within the tumor-initiating cell compartment didn't respond. So unfortunately, many patients were put into these trials that likely shouldn't have been, which resulted in um, very modest um, clinical benefit rates in, in these trials. What was interesting to us was that, in fact, profound responses have been observed, but at very low frequencies, um, which su suggested to us that EGFR dependency could be a, 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 a vulnerability within the subset of triple negative breast cancers. And so that was, that was the, the clinical rationale for the, the basis for our study. Okay, well, thanks so much for, for joining us today, Paul. Um, our last question is just um, what are the next steps for this project and, and also for you in terms of your research career down the line? So the next steps in the project um, are to actually look at how these populations evolve under treatment. And so what we've done essentially is, is to perform more RNA, single cell RNA sequencing um, while the cell before the cells are treated while the cells are treated and then after these cells uh, are treated with egfr inhibitors and to look at the evolution of that because the next step we know that with all targeted therapies and all small molecules resistance is something that's inevitable so we want to begin to understand how these cells can kind of circumvent the efficacy of egfr inhibitors um, in the development of resistance um, and we're doing this using very similar techniques to the ones that we've used in this paper, using patient-derived xenografts, uh, which we again think will recapitulate what's going on in, in uh, the human disease. In terms of uh, my own career development, I'm uh, back in medical school at this point. Uh, I still have a foot in the lab, um, trying to finish off a few more projects, and I'm also um, trying out some clinical types of uh, research projects. Um, in breast cancers and in other uh, in other fields as well. Very cool. I'm sure it'll be very successful as was this this research endeavor. So thanks again for joining us. Um, we wish you all the best in terms of your future, and um, we hope to maybe have you back on the show again when uh, when your next paper is published. Thanks for having me. All right. So we hope you enjoyed today's talk. You are listening to The Mumps, the McGill University Medical Podcast Series. Stay tuned for our upcoming episodes. Yeah.